It's the Exit 52 podcast, the only Baltimore podcast that has an extended Disney Channel original movie discussion before the recording of the show. We are back. It is the continuation of Hate Month. Barstool Banks is branded Hate Month as we roll into the Ravens game against the Colts on Sunday. And we will get to the preview of that game, but boy, has there been a lot that's happened between our instant analysis show, which make sure to go back and listen to for all our thoughts on the Ravens' loss to the Steelers. And today, as we record on Wednesday night, we had the trade deadline. We had a COVID situation. We had a beef between an $100 million cornerback and a respected writer. We had Lamar Jackson media comments about Hollywood Brown. We had everything. Banks, what is your biggest storyline from the last, from the whistle on Sunday to right now as we record? I got to pick one, huh? I didn't know that question was coming. Um, I think that the, uh, it's the COVID thing. The COVID's got to be it. We don't, I mean, the Colts are a good football team. Like we said, we're going to get into that whole preview. This is the kind of game where we want our, our quote unquote soldiers out there. Um, <laughs> doing what they do best. And uh, it just seems like we've had a snowball starting with whenever Ronnie Stanley went down, it was maybe the second quarter until it's still maybe snowballing. We have no idea what happens with these tests. We don't know who's going to continue to be negative. I don't know about incubation periods and, and whatnot, even though I'm in a very similar situation personally. Um I don't know what the test will be in, in a couple of days and we got to cross our fingers and hope that, that they come out on the Raven side and they continue to be negative. But even with that, not having, you know, the practice reps, um, it's less than ideal. So given all the things that you mentioned, all the things going on, we are teetering on pets heads are falling off territory here. So just trying to talk everyone and myself off the ledge talking to myself as much as I am to everybody else. We're five and two. We are five and two. We have a couple tough games here in the next few weeks and then a pretty easy schedule to finish. It seems pretty impossible to miss the playoffs. Hope I'm not like whatever, like, yeah, I see you giving me a look there. I'm not putting a hex on us or anything. (laughs) We just got to make the tournament at the very least. And I think we're a team that nobody wants anything to do with. Come January. To give the full list of the guys affected by this, obviously Marlon Humphrey is out. He will not play on Sunday. Matt Judon, Patrick Queen, Tyus Bowser, LJ Fort, Deshaun Elliott, Malik Harrison, and Terrell Bonds, who I don't think really any Ravens fans knew until Sunday, and now he is, he's, he's making headline news around the league. Those guys have to test negative throughout the week, and then they have the possibility to play on Sunday. So the soldiers as Hollywood Brown would say, could be back. Um, some of those guys, but they will not have Marlon Humphrey. Uh, just a very interesting week. And as you said, you want to have all your guys there for a road game against a team um, that's going to be scrappy and the Colts is trying to win a division. I think that uh, this is a big test for this Ravens team and the, and the organization as a whole. Uh, this is one of those things where, as you said, can be a tipping point where you, have a couple down weeks and then you pick it back up or you can sort of spiral into one of those seasons from hell where people get hurt and you, you have things go wrong and things like that. So the Ravens are going to have to try to combat that against a pretty good Colts team this weekend. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think Marlon being out this weekend is going to be a big thing because 
I don't think Philip Rivers is the Philip Rivers that we've seen in the past. I think T.Y. Hilton's almost – I think he's out too, or he's he's banged up. I think he's questionable. Um, it, 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 obviously, it's going to – if some of these guys can't play, it obviously puts them at a disadvantage just because it's a numbers game. But I think it's the Colts, and I think this is a game that, that, the, that the Ravens kind of feel themselves and, and get back to it. Um, I'm definitely starting Hollywood Brown because I think the, the soldier is going to get fed this week, I think. Um, and they'll do their whole post game thing. Like, Oh, look at us. We're, we're fine. Look, he's getting all, you know, he's got, he got 12 looks in this game. We're going to be all right. Um, again, just a very weird, uh, like you said, it, it almost started Sunday at right as the game started. Like, cause it was what first thing Monday morning was like, Oh, by the way, Marlon, Marlon tested positive. Like, and then you had the other guys te- or, you know, being, I guess the close quarters and then him and Zerebek going at it. So, very, very weird couple days to the and I again it's only Wednesday night. I feel like it's Saturday. Like it's 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 been a very long yeah. three days so far. Yeah. It feels but- like the bad news just started coming, like I mentioned early in that second quarter when Ronnie Stanley went down, and it just hasn't stopped. We've just mm-hmm. been trying the avalanche of bad news. We've been trying to stop it. The trade that trade the line came and went, and that was all the talk in the world for two, three weeks about what we were gonna do and Yes, we made the awesome trade for Yannick Ngakwe, and it was maybe the biggest trade of the deadline, and it's it's going to work out great for us, I think. But I think everybody had a picture in their mind of the, that deadline day being kind of one of those days where everybody's on the edge of their seat, hoping mm-hmm. with excitement and, and waiting to see what was going to happen. And the whole COVID storyline just kind of stole that lightning and – everyone was just kind of holding their breath, trying to wait for, for whose name was on the list. Cause we had the trickle out of, okay, somebody has COVID. Okay. It's Marlon Humphrey. Okay. Does he have symptoms? Is he okay? Blah, 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 blah. How's his cat doing? Yada, yada, yada. Um, and then it became, you know, who was he around? Who was he? What blah, 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 that whole story. And then it came to be that there were six or seven names that were on a list that were going to have to sit out with a quarantine and, and, you know, the names came out. I think everybody thought it was going to be very secondary heavy. It actually turned out to be very line, line, right? Heavy. Linebacker. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's pretty much all the linebackers except in Gakwe. Um, why that is, I, I'm not exactly sure. I think it's just the fact that those guys hang out a lot off the field, um, which is, you know, I think is a good thing. Uh, most times, <laughs> I guess in this scenario, it's not, but um yeah, it's it's the situation that they're in. And of course we saw Marlon Humphrey and lashing out a little bit about what Jeff Zerebic had uh, reported and what Jeff reported is what he got from the league. I was going to say, who, whose side are you on in that? Because it seemed like Marlon was kind of on the offensive for no, I mean, there was no like winner or loser, but it was, it was weird. It was definitely weird to see someone speak out like that. Cause you normally don't see that from the guys on the Raven. Listen, Nobody had fun with that conversation. I think the majority, mm-hmm. I think the vast majority of the Ravens fan base, they really appreciate and they respect Jeff Zerebic and what he does. His word is pretty much gospel. He doesn't get mixed in with any of the, the, the nonsense that some of these other journalists do. He doesn't report bad news. He's, he's very reliable. Mm-hmm. And he keeps, you know, he keeps his opinions out of it, I guess, is what people like about him. I don't know. He just... He just goes about the beat in a good way. Like he's just, he's just well-respected and well-liked from, you know, fellow bloggers to just casual fans to whoever, you know, they, they trust him and they like him. And 
I think the fan base very much likes Marlon Humphrey too. And that's why it was, it was kind of a tough spot for everybody mm-hmm. who saw it unfolding and it was no fun. And um, I think Marlon, Marlon has a right, I suppose, to be worked up. He's frustrated. I would be frustrated too if I had to sit out and miss a big game after a frustrating loss the way that they had on Sunday. Um, he should probably keep some of those thoughts to himself, not because they're right or wrong per se, but because they just will never be perceived in a good manner. There's just no winning in that scenario for Marlon. Mm-hmm. And it thinks like, you know, I, I, I can, I could understand a feeling and a need to defend yourself because, you know, a positive test may say this about you, but that may be unfair, you know, representation of what you've been up to or this, that, and the other. Um, so I understand the, the, the eagerness for him to try to clear his name of, of what misconceptions there might be about, you know, what he's been up to, but um, it's just not ever going to be perceived in, in a positive manner. Um, and he kind of lashed out and I thought Jeff, Jeff stood his ground in a professional manner as he should. And um, I think people respected that even further and it didn't really seem to bubble over and, and really keep going. So I guess, mm-hmm. you know, I'm glad it didn't get out of hand, but huh, it, for like a half hour there, it was kind of dicey. It was uh, also, how funny was it where the Ravens, t- who tweeted it out first that someone had tested positive? Because did the Ravens release their statement? Like we have a player test. Cause I saw Marlon test yeah. say, I got the Rona. He, he tweeted no. it first. And no, then, I, and the Ravens, I, I'm literally sitting, sitting here on what was it, Monday morning, having a cup of coffee, trying to get my week started, just trying to like, all right, we lost to the Steelers. What do we do now? Just relax. Tread, trade deadline tomorrow, this, that, and the other. And then I just see a tweet that says, I got the coronavirus. And I'm like, wait, for, where is this coming from? There was no mm-hmm. smoke. It was just like, boom, fire in your face. Everything, the room is on fire. This is fine. No, it's not fine at all. I just immediately retweeted it, went straight to the blog, had a blog up within nine minutes. It's pretty good turnaround time. No big deal. Um, and then the Raven statement came out four or five minutes later. So it just said, and all it said was like, we had a player test positive and everyone's like, yeah, it's, it's he controlled the like, narrative, you know, <laughs> you know, but like the way that they, I get it that they have to like, Oh, you know, we're not going to say who, but everyone's like, no, we know who it is. He literally just told us yeah. like 10 minutes ago. Yeah. And again, it, it was very Marlon Humphrey-esque where he's – and I don't know if you've ever – I've been at Jimmy's with him a couple times um, at some parties and stuff. You talk about a guy that marches to the beat of his own drum. That dude shows up in a cowboy cat. hat, um, like a suit jacket with no shirt underneath. He, he's, he's an interesting cat. Um, that, that, that is, that, it's that's generally cool. harmless stuff too, like very, oh. very harmless. He he's, <laughs> seems like a sweetheart at heart and he just likes to go out and genuinely loves football. Yeah. He just yeah. loves the game of football that he, he studies the nuances and all those things. He's just a football guy and off the field, he's a little eccentric and in a totally harmless kind of way. Mm-hmm. And this is really the first time that anything that has been remotely, uh, I guess, negative has really come yeah. up this little tiff. The, the phone charger and all phone charger thing. Oh yeah. I forgot about that, but I, I did see, I think it was a, it was like a mic'd up. They were at the pro bowl last year. I think you're it was joking about it. 
and it was a bunch of guys in a car and they were like, Hey, don't take your, take your charger away from this guy. Take your charger away. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the Marlon Humphrey thing was just, you know, and, and the Twitter beef there was just sort of almost the, um, the release of frustration from a number of different sort of storylines that were swirling around the team from the Hollywood Brown tweet on Sunday to the incessant 24 hours of Lamar Jackson takes that happened locally and nationally, which are bound to happen. And, um, obviously we're, we're harsh on Lamar for how he's played in quote unquote big games. Um, I think the, there's a little bit of a moving of the, of the goalposts on what a big game is based on how he performs either well or poorly. Obviously he was not very good on Sunday, but he has played well in quote unquote big games, undefeated Patriots at home. Um, one Seattle. loss, one loss, San Francisco at home at Seattle, sending the team to the playoffs against the chargers as a rookie when he could barely throw the ball. I mean, he has done some good things in big games. He has not played well against the Steelers, which is certainly very notable and he's got to play better. Um, and he's not played well. He's not won both playoff games. He put up great numbers in the playoff games against Tennessee. He didn't play well necessarily. And then obviously played very poorly against the chargers um, in the playoffs two years ago. Um, so that was swirling around. Then you had the trade deadline and we can, we get to the trade deadline. Now, obviously Eric DeCosta did his work with Yannick Ngakwe. When you have the Ronnie Stanley injury, you think, does he go out and try to figure out something on that front? They stay put. And I'm sure partly because of the COVID stuff kind of shut them down um, to a certain extent. Maybe if they wanted to make a move with, not even someone related that I think that just kind of puts you at a standstill when you're dealing with that um, for the most part. And we're seeing other teams deal with it. The 49ers look like they're in, in really rough shape on the college level. Wisconsin football is in really tough shape. So that's certainly going around. Did you guys think they were going to make a move on Tuesday? I did not think they were going to make a move. I think I was kind of was like, they've done their business. There's not really been anybody out there right now that makes sense. Did you guys feel any differently as you headed towards four o'clock the other day or I yesterday? Didn't- I didn't think that they were going to do anything on the offensive line. I thought that they feel very comfortable with moving Orlando Brown over to left tackle. They know what Patrick McCary is capable at right guard because he is the guy who's really getting inserted here with, uh, well, Phillips is out as well with a high ankle sprain. They put him on IR yesterday, I think. So they're really replacing two guys, but they have pretty much had three or four guys who can play interior line that have taken reps competed for starting job. And I think all five of these guys on the offensive line that are going to suit up on Sunday and start have all shown the ability to run block very capably. And for the most part, pass block at least effectively enough for this offense to continue to do a lot of the things that they want to do. Now, the one thing I thought that the team would do potentially would be to go out and get a tight end. That whole narrative about them having traded Hayden Hurst and kind of losing their identity with, with, um, you know, 13 sets, you know, with, with three tight ends and then running some of the routes that they were able to do and run the type of offense they did last season, them missing Hayden Hurst and them trying to replace somebody. I thought there was maybe some merit to that. I, I wouldn't hate for them to try to go out, pick somebody up if they're on the market who can pass catch a little bit and block a little bit and kind of get this offense back to doing just some of the things that they did last season um, with whether it be running the football or, or, you know, using some of these formations that created issues with seam routes with the tight ends going. Um, I, I, I would like to see it. And I don't know what's out there at this point for them to, to do that. But um, that was kind of my one 
Uh, I don't know if it's a pipe dream, but kind of a, a trade they may have made that would not have shocked me. And they didn't go ahead and do that. And I think that says that they're comfortable with what they have offensively. And of course, the COVID thing was just kind of a ball up in the air that they're trying to juggle. And it's really tough to make a deal in that situation. Plus, the salary cap is pretty tight at the moment. So, yeah. I, I feel – and the, 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 the COVID thing, I feel like that, that's definitely a big hurdle. Because, again, we didn't see – I mean, we barely saw – was there any moves even on Tuesday? Like, I, I know Monday – Very limited. There was a Dolphins-Patriots trade. Right. Yeah, for that wide receiver. Um, but other than that, I think that was it. And, yeah, it's, it seems like that the COVID thing is really – it seemed like people want – if they wanted to make a move, they were going to make it a couple days earlier. Um, and, I mean, I didn't think they were going to go out and get an offensive tackle because, again, they had, what, less than 48 hours to kind of, all right, who do we want? You know, I mean – they went from saying, all right, well, we're going to pencil this guy in for the next six years, the left tackle. Now they're thinking, you know, 48 hours after they signed him, they're thinking, shit, all right, who do we got to put there now? Um, and, I mean, th- this is why they signed DJ Fluker in the offseason too. Right. Like he – I mean, he's – and I think a lot of the expectation was that he would move to left tackle. I know we saw Orlando play there earlier. Um, also, that's going to be a huge problem when Orlando's contract is up too because his agent's going to be like, hey – you got to give my guy left tackle money now. So yeah, obviously I, I think the writing was on the wall with him, with, with Stanley getting his money there. But um, I mean, he, you know, my, my guess is, is Orlando is going to play there for, for the now, for the, the time being, but you know, I mean, DJ Fluker obviously was that guy who, who they had in mind filling in if, if they needed an extra guy and obviously they do. Um, and then again, the wide receiver, I mean, People wanted him to make a move. You're not going to overpay for a Will Fuller. You're not going to overpay for, I don't I mean, who, I mean, there are always guys that they could go out. Like I said, they, they got Dez waiting in the, waiting in the wings. Um, Muhammad Sanu is a free agent still. I feel like, like it wouldn't surprise me if they bring it someone like that to kind of mix it up. But um, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't too hell bent. I, I didn't think they were going to go out and make it, make a, make a change that quickly. Um, like I said, I think Yann- Yannick was their big one and that was the guy they wanted to get and they got him. And, you know, if someone called them and was like, Hey, we'll give you Will Fuller for a six or something. I'm sure they would have jumped on it, but they're not, <laughs> they were just, they're not going to overpay for someone. And if it would have been the Texans with Bill O'Brien, that wouldn't have been that shocking. Bill I mean, O'Brien would have traded. They like probably would have given him like a bag of peanuts. Yeah. Like Deshaun and David Johnson and Fuller for like this, this year's third and next year's seven or something. Yeah. I don't even know if it would have been, been that big of a haul, but yeah, <laughs> I, I agree with you guys. I think they made the deal uh, for Yannick. You bring him in, you hope that improves the pass rush and you kind of go through and maybe they get something out of Des uh, Lamar talked very nicely about Des today. Who happy knows birthday, how much? Des, by happy, the birth, way. happy birthday to Des, great Raven. Happy, happy birthday, birthday to him. Um, and you hope that you could get something out of him moving forward. Moving forward to this game Sunday, you know this Colts team is is obviously competitive in the AFC South, as you talked about a little bit. RDT they bring in Philip Rivers to see if they can get enough out of them. They were a little bit of a trendy Super Bowl contender coming into the year. If, you know, Rivers played well, they have the offensive line that's pretty good. They drafted Jonathan Taylor, very exciting from Wisconsin. Um, they've you've been banged up, certainly, on the offensive side of the ball. They lost Paris Campbell. T.Y. Hilton has not been the same guy this year. Um, they've got, like, Zach Paschal and, and Michael Pittman. Those are kind of their receivers that they're trotting out right now. Um, Naheem Hines is doing, you know, backflips in the end zone that 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 was fun on Sunday um, they are certainly and the, and the defense is certainly pretty good 
this feels like a game the Ravens should win, but wondering what you guys think would be is really the pitfall going into this game against the Colts. Obviously, for all the old school Ravens fans, Baltimore fans, a lot of bad blood here. As we heard from Lamar, if you you know weren't around for any of that stuff, it's not as much bad blood. But um, there's always something going when the Colts and the Ravens get together. You always got that kind of old school bad blood. Yeah, they're, they're they generally tend to be good teams as well. And I think that um, especially this iteration of the Colts is very based on the trenches and the Ravens always have dudes in the trenches. And I'm very interested to see how the Ravens hold up with this new kind of revamped front seven and the likes of a Quentin Nelson inside um, just to see, you know, what does that, you know, if, if there's a real test for, for this front seven to really go up against and, and see who they can push around and who they can't. It's this team. I'm also interested to see. I was somewhat surprised and I'm excited to see. This is only Lamar Jackson's second game indoors in his career. Only his second game indoors, only his second game on turf. And and obviously the skill set that you see is one that makes you think, okay, this guy could really light it up and have a day out there on the turf. His other first game was decent, I think, on turf. You were there, I believe. I was there. It was a game in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2018, they were kind of running uh, that makeshift offensive sorts. He had a decent game. Was, oh, was he not starting that game? He was starting. He was. Okay. Well, he started against the Texans earlier this year too, indoors. I guess that's indoors. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. That's retractable. Yeah, right. Is it retractable? Yeah, it's, it's one of those halvesy ones. But this is not, what I think indoors is like Indianapolis is indoors. You mean like cold, cold, cold weather team indoors? Uh, yeah, I guess. Whatever. <laughs> like turf ball. You know, like you play yeah. turf ball in, in New Orleans and Indianapolis. Really. Take, them, take them to the RCA Dome. Bring yeah, that back. Or whatever they call it, the Carrier Dome or like I. Well, now it's Lucas Oil Stadium. What's Lucas the RCA Oil Dome? Stadium. Like yeah. whatever. They've had RCA a Dome, names that those dumbass Ursays. Uh, take the money from, but uh, yeah, I'm excited to see him get out there and just kind of play free and loose. Cause I think he played a little bit uptight, you know, the other day. And I think that some of the, the, the stuff's being said about what he does and um, some of the throws he's been missing and those are on him. I think uh, I'm, I'm hoping to see him play a little more loose. And I think that the conditions of being on the turf and you could play a little faster might just allow him to kind of just free wheel it a little bit. And the way they ran the football last week was, I mean, if we come away with a win in that game, we are more fired up this week than we've been the entire season. Everything is rosy and peachy and the offense is running the football again. And we beat the Steelers, you know, out game them by 300 yards and push them around and bullied them and won the game despite all these turnovers. Like, that could have been – we're very close to having that be the storyline, and we shouldn't let the fact that we came up, what, 20 yards short or we came up short by a yard on a fourth and three inside the goal line or inside the five. Like, we shouldn't let that one result on that one-one play cloud our perception of who this team is and what they're capable of. You got to keep that in mind. They, they can run the hell of the football again from what I saw last week you could even suggest that some of the offensive line shuffling that they did um, on the fly there was beneficial in the run game and hopefully it carries over. And then we've got this whole other conversation. I don't want to dive, you know, jump topics too quickly, but what, what is the pecking order at running back? I mean, these guys ran the hell out of the football without Mark Ingram 
And I don't know what his injury situation is going into next week, but when he we didn't talk, we didn't talk about his tweet either. I don't know if you guys saw that. It was very gloomy, wasn't it? It was very like, like a, a guy who, like people who talking down cut. on me. Like it sounded like a guy who just got cut, and we were going to see Schefter tweet something out in ten minutes. They change up on you quickly, and love they say the have is only conditional. God's plan is always perfect. Stay down 21. They can't stop what God has for you. Hashtag God wins. Hashtag God, Godfidence. Godfidence, like, huh? Yeah, Godfidence. That was a Godfidence. different one. Um, but it's like no one, no one was shit talking Mark Ingram. Like people well, were talking about, I think people were, I think it was more people being like, hey, look, Mark Ingram's out. We can, we can make this work with J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, which I think people were saying. The second they drafted Dobbins, they were probably saying, "Hey, his contract, I th- he's he's not up after this year, but I think they can get rid of him for for pretty yeah, cheap." Pretty much. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody rationally was talking anything bad about Mark Ingram. But if you're Mark Ingram and you're sitting there and you jump in your mentions or you have friends that send you things, there's always something out there that I'm sure is like. J.K. Dobbins never got a chance because he had old Mark Ingram in front of him. I'm sure there's something out there that Mark Ingram saw. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I would assume that's not internal because Mark Ingram seems beloved um, among yep. the, uh, the franchise there. So I don't think there's anything there. But I'm sure he saw, you know, don't give this guy another carry. They've got J.K. They've got Gus Edwards. I do think that's a very good question going into this game. Colts with the second best defense by yards allowed in the NFL. So the Ravens go back to back with the two best defense, in the NFL by yards allowed with, as you said, banks, a very stout front seven. They've really built that team in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And how does John Harbaugh handle the carries? It really felt like, and I think I mentioned this on the instant analysis, that those guys were in a great rhythm, Gus and J.K., going back and forth, taking those reps, especially on that final drive when they went, you know, they were seamlessly coming in and out of the game and popping off pretty solid runs. You know, Gus Edwards is a guy that we've talked about a lot about how it seems like when he gets in the game, he plays very well. And J.K. Dobbins looked like the guy that I remember at Ohio State, hard to bring down, gets the extra two or three yards, but you don't expect them to. Low center of gravity. I think Torrey Smith tweeted during the game Sunday, he reminded him of Ray Rice, which I don't think is a horrible comparison from a running style standpoint and being tough to bring down, being kind of low to the ground. Flippery. Slippery. Um, he's a very good player and, and is why people were excited about him in a three-pronged attack. I still think Mark Ingram has a role in this offense. Uh, I think, still think by the goal line, he is the Ravens' best option um, if he is healthy. And so you hope that they could just sort of integrate those guys um, in a way that makes sense. But hopefully, I mean, the, the, the positive you would be like, okay, now J.K. Dobbins feels like he's got it going on. Now you can really unleash all three of these guys um, when you feel like you need to get back to more of your identity. If the passing game is not going to get to the level you think it is with Lamar and Hollywood and Miles Boykin and Mark Andrews and all these different guys. So I look at it as a positive of the running back situation. You're just adding another piece. You're just adding another weapon. I mean, Gus Edwards and JK, maybe they're not the guy for a game and, and Mark Ingram takes it. I mean, that's what we saw last year with those guys. Sometimes one guy would be the best guy and you rode them and sometimes you're interspersing them, but I think it's going to be going to be very interesting too to see what they do on that front, especially against the Colts defense. That's very, very good. They're going to need as many weapons as possible. Um, and it looks like Ingram will be healthy for this game. There was some justice Hill sightings by the way, on Sunday. So he is not justice Hill still around, still around. He's on the team. Um, so you got him too, I guess. 
By the I way, the, the Colts, the Colts next four games, do you know their, their four game schedule coming up? I do not. Ravens at Titans, Packers, Titans at, at home. That's a t- I mean, well, they're beating that Titans team twice. That team stinks. Um, probably not. <laughs> so they play, they play Thursday night this week, Sunday and then Thursday. So yeah, the Sunday, Thursday double, yeah. which the Ravens will do in a few weeks. So yeah, I mean, hey, that's a that's a tough that's a tough schedule for them. Yeah, especially with Texans, Colts, those Texans two Raiders. those two Titans games in, in all seriousness are huge because the division. Yeah, um, and they're Both they're going to have those too. games certainly circled um, to try to try to get some games up on the Titans in the division. So yeah, a, a big stretch coming up for them. Uh, predictions from you guys, RDT, you start. Give me. By the way, I was the only one that picked the Steelers last week. I want that on the record. It's on the record. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> I've officially added it. I've okay, officially yes. added it at this point. Yep. Give me um, – I'll go 30-20 Ravens. Thanks. 2017 Ravens, I think that they will be a little less prepared than they'd like to be going into Indianapolis with the – the short week of practice with these guys on the COVID list and everything. And, and they're still going to find their way. Like, you know, sometimes you find things that work on the fly on the offensive line because the opposite side hasn't exactly figured out how they want to attack that. But this week they're going to test some of these guys with blitzes on the offensive line, knowing that they don't have the continuity. So we're going to have some issues. Like it's going to happen. I don't want everybody to think everything's going to be peachy, even though I, you know, tried to serve up some, positive vibes earlier. Um, I think it's just going to be a little more low scoring because these are two good defenses in 2017. Maybe even JT with a kick to win it. What did you say the score was? So I'm writing them down. 2017 Ravens. I will go 24 to 20 Ravens. I was very tempted to pick the Colts when I was thinking about this today coming into the show. Um, but I think Phillip Rivers – will be the difference in this game on a positive side for the Ravens. I think he is going to make mistakes. I think that um, – I think Ngakwe will get to him for one strip sack, which will be his coming out party, and I think he will throw a bad pick to somebody at some point. Uh, we've watched him do it many a time over the years in a close game, and he will do it this weekend against the Ravens, and that will be the ultimate difference. Not Has really. he ever beat a team from Maryland? I was going to get to that as well. Uh, okay. He, he – yeah, he 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 beat the Ravens in the playoffs two years ago. But anyway, never beat the Terps. That's right, he did. Yeah, he yeah. did. But he never beat Maryland. He's zero and four against Maryland. Anyways, I feel like we are due, and we we were kind of sniffing around it this past week. I think we're due for a Calais Campbell either tip pass that somebody picks off, or him just straight up bear just bear clawing a ball when he jumps up at the line, because when we blitz these guys and we bring the house against the likes of a Rivers or a Roethlisberger who really cannot escape when the pressure is brought, they are very good at getting rid of it quick. And the way to combat that is to have guys get their hands up and block those short passing lanes. And I think Campbell is going to bat one or catch one himself and create a game changing play. There you have it. That's a bold prediction there. There's your bold prediction. But all three of us say the Ravens take this one. Should be a good one on Sunday. CBS at 1 o'clock, and I've got the announcers. Ian Eagle, Charles Davis, and Ravens preseason favorite Evan Washburn will be on the call in Indianapolis. Yeah, very good crew. Very good crew. Nance Romo and Tracy Wolfson are at Steelers 
Cowboys, which is oh. an awful game. Oh, God. And uh, just price, they That's can the send eyeballs bowl, though. Yeah, it's the eyeballs bowl at 425. Um, they could send Tony, they could send Tony back to Dallas. So we don't get the A team, get the B team, which is Tony fine. Thing. I am stunned at the lack of Tony Romo come back to the Cowboys talk that has occurred, the lack thereof. You would think that people would be talking about it nonstop. This is the first I've heard of it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just don't think, I, I just don't think he, people think he's, he's ready. To, I mean, I think that ship has just sailed. I just don't it's probably anything. sailed, but like it's less outrageous than probably some of the, the chatter around Brett Favre that honestly kept going for like seven, eight years. Like, yeah, but I feel like he kept Brett that Favre up. thing. He, he did like, yeah. But, but Romo's always been for, like, no, I'm done. You I'm know, Tony, you know, all those people in the media have called Tony and said, should we even bring this up? He's a media guy now. So he's got the connections there. They ask him, Tony's like, let's just, not, well, let, I don't want to start wanna, floating this out there. I'm I don't want to do this. Because we're, I mean, we're talking about Danucci and then we're talking about Cooper Rush and, and who's the other jabroni that's in the mix? Uh, Garrett, Garrett, Garrett Gilbert. Garrett Gilbert. Yeah, Longhorn came in uh, during the national championship when Colt McCoy got hurt and then was like crying in the post game. Heartbreaking moment for Colt McCoy. Garrett Gilbert, yeah, he's he's a true freshman. He's a true freshman. Yeah. 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 He never really, never really shaped. No, he ended up transferring, I believe, to SMU. I don't even think he finished his career at Texas. So did uh, the Bouchel. Bouchel, yeah. Kind of like the 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 lost to Maryland. Lost to Maryland. So did Ellinger. They all lose to Maryland. They all lose to Maryland. They all lose to Maryland. But Tony, Tony. Romo, Dallas Cowboys, we're going to get that rumor flowing. we got to get this going. I mean, we got to talk about something else on Twitter other than you know what. So let's, let's get this greasy. You don't, want, you, don't want, you don't want to talk about the vote dump that just happened in Maricopa County? Uh, we can talk about it, but we will not talk about it because that's not what this show uh, is about right now. So we will talk about uh, two other things, local sports. I want to, I'll let you guys decide on what you want to talk about first. Maryland's win over Minnesota. On Friday night, we have not talked a lot of Terps on this show, despite my obvious connections. Yep. Or the Angelo situation. RDT, which one would you want to talk about first? Um, I mean, we could we can talk Angelos because I feel like that's I mean all right, lay it out for us. Lay it out for us. Easy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I feel like this has been the case for the last couple of years. What what was it? The owners, the other owners or MLB voted to let John Angelos, I guess, is now what principal owner? He is making the, I believe he's now the decision maker. Essentially, is I think the, like the dumbed down version of. And and I mean honestly, that's been the that's been going on for I don't know three or four years now. And like it's not it's been widely known in the in the um in the area. Like it's not and and I mean you can even see philosophically how they've changed in the organization. Whereas when Peter was running it, there was no international spending. You weren't there was no analytics or anything. And I and you know obviously after Buck left and. And and they hired um, Elias and Brandon Hyde and Sig Dell. It's there's been a huge switch into the analytics, and that's because everyone's doing it. And they've revamped, you know, their Dominican facilities and all that. So yeah, it's again. I think I feel like it was just a move on paper because I don't know about you guys, but I was told that Peter Angelos wouldn't have made it to the 2017 trade deadline. Like he was sick back then, and he's pushing early 90s. Um, I think he's like 91 or 92. Yeah. Yeah. So, now so it's, you know, I mean, I, I, obviously it's big. Um, but, and, and then there were also those rumors last week, I guess, of like, Oh, buyers are lining up if the Orioles are going to sell. And then like, if you read the article, it was like, everyone from the family said that they're not going to sell. 
So it's kind now, of a clickbaity headline. Yeah. Now the weird thing that came up was that Elias put out that kind of long wind. Yeah, the email. Yeah. 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 Like letter to fans and everything. Like, I didn't know if you guys got that or just me. I, I did. I don't know if that was a precursor because they knew that that Angelus announcement was going to be coming a day or two after. I don't know if mm-hmm. that just kind of like to settle any sort of nerves or get out in front of that announcement. I don't know. But um, yeah, I I did read the reasoning from the Baltimore Sun as to why the Angelus family would, would um, consider selling the team. And it's related to some, some tax breaks and things mm-hmm. that I have a good understanding of, but I know a lot of other people don't. And they're, those are legitimate reasons. I mean, those yep. are like, like he would be taxed at a very significant rate should he sell the team while still alive. And if they sell it in an estate format, they stand to gain hundreds of millions of dollars versus selling it on some other occasion. It's kind mm-hmm. of their out. So, and I'm sure, I'm sure it's been discussed. It's not like it gets brought up and they shut it down. Like I'm sure, like you said, for those reasons. I mean, it's a hundred, hundreds of millions of dollars. You, you at least got to sit down and talk about it. When you've got nine or ten figures in 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 wealth in your family, you have estate planners and and CPAs and things like that that foresee these types of situations. And so it for sure has to have been a conversation. And it seeing what these teams are being sold for these days, what. Was it a two point four billion dollar team? Is that what I see it now? That's the Met. The Mets got sold for two point four billion. The Orioles are valued at, at, one, Mets, at one at one point four. Okay. Um, but so they bought the team for like a hundred hundred ninety million. I or think it's like a hundred and seventy three. Yeah. See, I'm getting numbers here, but like one hundred seventy three million. The capital gains of like a billion dollars that you'd be taxed on. Like literally one Chris Davis contract. Basically, yeah. It's insane. Yeah, it would be it would be an amazing, obviously, return on investment. As you said, the two things on the surface are the Angelos family beyond Peter has been running the team for a while, and we don't want to speculate about Peter yeah. Angelos health too much. I mean, obviously, there's a reason that decision's being made, and they've made different organizational decisions. The other thing, and I do think Mike Elias, I do, I'm sure they made. And I don't have any knowledge, but. You know, you when it whenever a team gets brought up to be sold, especially in a city where a team has been ripped away from it, you want to you know bring down any speculation. And I don't think Michael Ice didn't necessarily need to send that email, but I don't hate the decision making. It's like let's just nip this in the bud now, right. and and not make people think this team's going to Nashville or San Juan or wherever or Las Vegas or MLB would want to put in a team. Whatever. And that's another thing in the, in that the Baltimore Sun article they mentioned that the Orioles were close to an extension with, mm-hmm. with Cameron with, so, with the Maryland stadium authority. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and that was kind of my biggest takeaway from the whole thing after reading it and kind of, you know, letting it marinate and then going back and reading it again, it was like, Oh shit. Like this is actually bigger news. I think because this is, again, you have all those people who were like, Oh, I don't know. John Angelos has a house in Nashville. I'm sure he'd love <laughs> to move there. And it's like, yeah, well, so does Trey Mancini, but like, it, it you know they're they're not moving the team to Nashville and so when I read that was like okay that is something that is a talking point in this now because again and maybe that coupled with the email is kind of like a all right now we can breathe now you know we know the team's going to be here and and again I mean I I think people were crazy if you thought that they were going to leave Camden Yards I mean the people would legitimately lose their mind if if a team left that that ballpark. Yeah. yeah, I I do think there's there's two other things that go along with that. 
first of all, Masson is obviously a boon from a money perspective for them because of how the control is. And we don't need to get into that situation with the nationals. There's a lot of stuff going on there and has been going on for a while. I did think one of the interesting things in the, in the Baltimore sun article, and it actually speaks to what the Ravens have done with MT bank stadium. There are probably still some things they can do in Camden yards to make that stadium better and put some more luxury options to make some more money makers. Obviously that stadium was built in 19 or finished up in 92, 93. So it doesn't have a lot of those like luxury field type accommodations. Like you see it like a Nats park. If I'll, I'll say one that's local, if you've ever been to those, they have all of those clubs um, and those are huge moneymakers um, they're, and they're branded and all those different things. The Orioles don't really have that, but as you said, they have a beautiful, you know, the, the, the apple of everyone's eye. Um, and as you said, the other, that was why that was such a big part. If they sign that lease, that kind of locks the team in unless someone wants to break that lease, which involves a bunch of different other things. So um, that seems to kind of quell any of those uh, concerns. I do think it's an interesting thought if we get farther down this road. And if we do, we could talk about it. What ownership groups could potentially line up for the Orioles um, as they talked about in some articles, MLB loves attaching big local names. So like Cal Ripken would obviously be thrown around probably Kevin in a potential group um like how magic johnson was a part of the dodgers sale how nolan ryan was in uh, what the rangers ownership group um that's a big thing that they like to do and that really that every league likes to do because it makes it more you know tenable you want for, that name attached yeah absolutely. yeah because it makes people feel like it's still owned by whatever but mm-hmm. we'll cross that bridge when it comes to it but a, an interesting oriole story that happened over the last week and and certainly one that anyone that has followed the team is interested in what the angelos family um is doing and what they're moving and shaking with the team so Surely worth talking about. In terms of things on the field, Maryland football with a 45-44 overtime win against Minnesota on Friday. The Turfs are back, baby. We're back. We're back. We're back. I was in the stadium. It was great. It felt like a bizarrely intense spring game at times because there's just no one in the stands and and as I had not experienced in an empty stadium, there were like 250 Minnesota friends and family. There's, you know, 300 Maryland parents. That's sort of what the big 10 is doing. Uh, but just a bizarre scene. Um, and I think that's everywhere in the country. If you've been to any of these empty stadium games or worked any of them, uh, but it were a, a fun game on a Friday night. Um, that kind of seesaw kind of game. You saw a game that put Maryland in the spotlight. Talia Tunga Vailoa is fantastic in the game. The Maryland defense did what it needed to do, and the Terps came out with a win. Any thoughts from the boys on the Terps? I don't mean this from the pessimistic standpoint that it's going to come across as, but, like, where the hell was that last week? Like, in terms of Tonga Viola, like, he was awesome. He was incredible the other night. Like, yeah, Maryland did a few Maryland type of things that, like, usually would keep them from winning that game, and he did enough to overcome that. And that is kind of like the change of culture when it comes to losing and the winning and all that kind of stuff that the program needs. Like Maryland doesn't win that game at the end. They're the ones missing the extra point at the end. That doesn't go their way. Like, you know, fumbling at the one yard line, that's like type of stuff. And that's when I like kind of thought the game was over and they, to their credit, they clawed back and they, they did what they had to do. And, Honestly, like Mike Loxley threw away what was a long shot of a possession there at the end, but like, you know, they almost were in position to win at regulation. Like they, they played what well, they gained 770, like 675 yards. Something Six, like yes. Around there. Yeah. 675. It's insane. It's insane. 
300 yard passer for the first time, I think since tw- it was like 2012 20, or 20, 2013. Like Caleb Rowe, I think. Caleb yeah, Caleb Rowe. Rowe. Yeah, wild. It was crazy. Wild scene. Was um, um, Navy had had a 300 yard passer <laughs> in, in less time than that, which is like, that I mean, that's, that's, that's insane. I also don't um, know if that, if that's a, that lines up. I started working full time for Maryland in 2014 after graduating and we hadn't had a 300 yard passer in my entire time as a Maryland employee. And I graduated in 2014. So, so I mean, like, yeah, they, like you said, they, I think everyone was kind of pissed at Loxley. Like you were talking about banks um, at the end of the game when, what they have, they had a timeout left, right? Timeout. And they were like 40 yards away. They could have called timeout and thrown a Hail Mary, which That's he came out and yeah, said yeah. this week that he just messed up. Uh, Locke yeah. said he, he just messed it he up. Put it well, it I appreciated him being yeah. like that clear about it like instead of trying to say some like analytical, like hey we yeah we got our signals crossed yeah that, well yeah no he said, he said that no, i just screwed that up um and yeah i mean like i was saying before we started we hit record but like the fact that that game is on a friday night and and there was nothing really else on i mean i was watching it, and like you said i almost turned it off when when they fumbled that at the one because i kind of thought all right well where were they at 14 nothing and then 21 seven Correct. And then went yep. down 17, I think, in the fourth. And it's like, yeah, okay, same old Terps, whatever. Like this, you know, I'm not going to think about this game tomorrow. And then it was like, okay, they kind of had a – I mean, Jake Funk. Jake shout Funk. out to Banks' rival uh, high school. Rival high school, yeah. Um, but, man, high. I mean, I feel like that guy's been in – and, again, I, I, I remember hearing him when he was in high school, but it's like I feel like he's been on the stage for 15 years now. Um. So yeah, he's cool just been a name him. in the state. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's been all oh, that. That's the, I remember that kid because he scored seven touchdowns against um, Dundalk in the playoffs. Yeah, but in it, the state in the state championship game. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, and again, great for him because he's had those injuries. I, th- I think it was back to back years. ACLs, two, he's right? had two ACLs. Yeah. So yeah. he's just a fifth year guy, two ACLs, and just we'll say just as someone that works around him a little bit, one of the, you know, nicest kids of all time. So you're just like, so happy for a guy like that, that Mm -hmm. has worked so hard, that cares about playing for Maryland. Like he does from a local school to have that moment um, on national, on the national stage. Now he was obviously usurped by Talia who became really the story of the night because of his last name, but also because of the way he played, um, which kind of elevated that game a little bit more nationally. Um, I think, cause it's, you know, it's to his younger brother, the weekend to his first start, that was already sort of a Sterling throughout the week. And it's all like, Oh, look, there's another tongue of Iloa. Look how well he's playing. Mm-hmm. And he was fantastic. And I think from a Maryland fan perspective, and you guys both root for the Terps, obviously work there the competency at the quarterback position has always been such an issue um, over really over the last decade with fits and starts with guys who seemed like they were going to be something the Kasim Hills of the world come to mind in that vein, Danny O Josh Jackson. You see these, you see these glimpses of different guys, you know, you had CJ Brown for a long time and and some of these guys were, were competent enough and did good things, but to watch a guy, you know, take short drops and just sling the ball around. I mean, I thought Scotty Montgomery, the offensive coordinator did an awesome job kind of throwing a lot of the five-step drops out, which got him into trouble against Northwestern and just saying, read the field, make the first throw, um, especially with how talented some of those guys are. But he also made some good throws on the run. Yeah. The guy to watch, if you don't watch a lot of Maryland football and you're hearing us talk about it, Dante Demas is going to be an NFL player. I don't know where he's going to get drafted, but he has all of the tools. He is good in the open field. He has a giant catch radius. He catches everything. He's uh, runs great routes, great routes. 
Um, and obviously, Rakim Jarrett was the big story going in, in that position. But Dante Demas is a dude. He is a dude. They've got all kinds of weapons in that offense. And really, it's not too complicated. They got to get their hands into playmakers. And that exactly what you said. They made an adjustment from the previous week where, you know, I mean, Jayshon Jones showed a ton of potential in that freshman year, had a great year. I think he was uh, all freshman Big Ten team. Um, obviously, he also had ACL injury as Maryland players somehow find a way to do all the time. Very unfortunate. But between those two and and Rakeem Jarrett being an all-world five-star recruit receiver coming in, they have three stud receivers. They've got this quarterback who obviously has a ton of ability and, uh, you know, running back with a ton of experience who, who's very accomplished as a football player. This offense, 675 yards against a Big Ten defense that – I think played pretty good defense last season, if I remember correctly. They did. They lost a lot. They you had the Antoine Winfield Jr. Um, right. All-American run last year. They lost a lot off that team. But that Minnesota team last year was a couple of things happening away from being a college football playoff potential. I mean, they got into the top 10. They had a huge win over Penn State. They ultimately ended up losing to Wisconsin um, and I believe in Iowa. But, they, I mean, they were right there the whole year. Um, and PJ Flex, a coach that everyone loves um, and thinks is good. Um, not, the Maryland, not the Maryland Twitter. We made fun of them. Uh, I was going to say they just didn't <laughs> get that boat road. Didn't get the boat road uh, to a, or Talia capsized it too. I'm going to do that all the time. <laughs> can Talia I capsized it? Can I flip the script on you here and you know you be the the, the interviewee and I be the interviewer here because I feel like you've always got that dynamic going here on this show. How much time in advance do you set up some of these? Uh, memes, graphics, uh, quote unquote, someone call it shit talking sure. in advance. Like what, how much time goes into that? How much thought in advance before, I mean, how, how much ends up on the cutting room floor is the other half of the question. We have certainly had some things end up on the cutting room floor in the past. I will say most of that stuff happens naturally, like during the game. Um, for the most part, there are some things we have set in motion pregame shout out to, uh, our creative, uh, consultant for this show, Marty Suma, who, um, was by my side and led Maryland social media for a while, did an awesome job. He was a part of a lot of our troll efforts in the past, um, for troll efforts (laughs) for this week. That's what we officially call it for this weekend. Uh, that happened naturally during the game. I have to shout out, you know, take a personal shout out to my two, um, comrades in in battle there andy ray and jake rose who work in our um digital and social media department they do graphics and different things for us and those dudes especially andy they think in that kind of troll kind of like jokey manner so i didn't even have to really tell them i turned over and i was like do we want to do something with road the boat if we win we're up like 21 7 the second quarter and he was like oh bro we're working on it we got that we're, we're working <laughs> on that and i walk over and they're both looking at photos of boats um so they were they were they were rolling so yeah, we, we kind of got that together and you make a decision and you kind of go for it. It just it just depends. It just depends on uh on the moment. I know we've done we had done some stuff in the past with Purdue where we would Marty would always tweet the Thomas the Tank engine falling off the tracks. <laughs> like the, uh, we've done that a few times a with, the, with them in basketball and football. Um so yeah, it just kind of depends. You know, we're Maryland, we're a little like off the off the path of the traditional Big Ten powers. We were that way in the ACC. Yeah, so you kind of have West nice. You kind of have that ability to be a little bit more cheeky, which I don't think – I think the Minnesota fans were a little taken aback because we kind of went after them from a bunch of different angles. We hit them 
we hit him there. We we went on basketball and hit him for the basketball. I mean, we and they I, I saw Minnesota fans in our mentions being like, oh, 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 but they weren't even coming back at us. They were just sort of like, oh, what, what's what what? Why are you guys being so mean? So you know, it is what it is. Minnesota, more the UMD Minnesota, not Minnesota Duluth. So show some <laughs> respect. But uh, no, it was it was fun. It was very uh, it was fun. And the and the and already you brought this up before we came on, having that game on a Friday night put that game in the, in the national spotlight and allowed that to become more of a thing than if we play that game at three 30 on a Saturday. Cause at that point it's buried under a number of different games. And that's why the big 10 wants those games on Friday night, because it gives two programs that are not two of their marquee blue blood, big noon Saturday, Gus Johnson, Joel Klatt kind of programs. You put them on a Friday and have them play a competitive game with a potential star in Talia and a team that has a coach that people know in Minnesota and, and uh, Muhammad Ibrahim, shout out to him. He's a local kid. What's a good council had a crazy game. I thought that was, you know, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wouldn't have been as cool if we'd lost, but um, that was, that was cool to see him come back home and have a good game. So last storyline. So yes, it just kind of depends. It kind of depends, but we had some fun with, with Minnesota. Um <laughs> capsizing the boat so we'll see i mean i would love to be able to do that to penn state this weekend but we'll see what happens they're going to be yeah. hungry after being owned too yeah so what's the outlook now because we had one week where we looked uh lost god awful least eric said god awful i didn't say it um they were they didn't look too good out there they did not play well they did not play well and then we have this game where Obviously, they won in very exciting fashion. It could have gone either way, but it could have gone further in the Terps' direction. So where, what do we think of the Maryland Terrapins football team in 2020? I, th- I think for me, as someone that is around them a little bit, I think what you want to see each week is a competitive performance put out on the field. And you want to see – Ohio State, you can throw that out. Ohio State is – a couple rungs ahead of everybody in the Big Ten, at least in my opinion. I mean, Penn State fought in that game on Saturday, but Ohio State was clearly coasting in the second half. Yeah. So throw that game out to a certain extent. I mean, I would love if we were competitive in that game. That happened a couple of years ago. We almost picked them off. If that happens again, sensational. I mean, if they if they were for competitive in that game, but they're not really your barometer at this point. You want to be able to be you want to be able to beat the Michigan states and the Rutgers of the world, especially this year, the way, well, the Michigan state just beat Michigan. So who the hell knows, but Rutgers. Um, and then you want to be competitive against, against a team like Penn state. That's maybe a little down. And then these other teams you go through the year. I don't think if you're a Maryland fan, you think you're going to wit, you go six and two, or you think you're necessarily going to go five and three. You just want to see that progression made, especially at that quarterback position. I think that will give people a lot of, good feeling if Talia is a player um, and then you hope that you can kind of build around him. He's got three, he's got this year and two more. So you've got three more years of him. If he's going to play at a high level and you can kind of continue to bring that talent in um, and build around them. Defense has some decent pieces. Nick cross is a good player in the back end of the secondary chance. Campbell Calvert Hawks finest um, has played very well in his first two games of a linebacker. The front seven is not as stout, but you know, those guys are trying hard up there. It's just, that's the position that everyone needs in the Big Ten, and they're hard to get. But that's the the you know position that they're recruiting very hard. And so I was going to say, don't they have a big defensive line class coming in next year, two years, or did I make that up? Ooh, that's that's a kind of a hit this week, if I am remembering correctly. They, I didn't look at my Ehrman message board. They lost a four-star recruit from Quince Orchard High School, which is nearby where I grew up. Yeah, uh, QO, shout out Wale. He was one of those guys that was. <laughs> One of those the movement guys that was talking to other guys. Uh, I want to say his last name is Bradley. 
Um, so that was a bit of a tough loss. I think he was supposed to be kind of the beef coming in and kind of showing, you know, kind of bringing some guys with them potentially. I don't know. But, okay. but yeah, okay. and, so, and so to kind of finish it and not to give the uh, the company line, but Mike Loxley's trying to change the culture and wins like that help you do that. It shows mm-hmm. that your team is resilient, shows that you're going to battle off of a really, I mean, let's be honest, a future performance against Northwestern. You corrected some of those mistakes and you were able to get a win. Now you hope you can, you know, repeat that week after week. Lox always talks about, you know, habits and behaviors, repeatability, you know, resetting it and, and getting back and, and kind of doing your thing a lot. That's a lot of coach speak, obviously, but that stuff Maryland hasn't done in the past. Maryland could use, you know, actually abiding by coach speak. So um, I think locks was very happy with what he saw with that, how they responded. And now you hope you're more competitive against Penn state than you were last year. I think any improvement there. And if you're a Maryland fan, you say, even if we lose, we feel good about the direction of where the team's going. So that, that is what I would say about the Terps. And speaking of things going on with Maryland, We'll take it to the Maryland person of the week. And uh, thanks. You can start. Uh, my Maryland uh, men of the week. I don't know if it's men or what it should be or whatever is old pro mini golf in ocean mm. Maryland. Sure. Um, just to brief everybody on my situation, my roommate back in Baltimore tested positive early late last week. So I quickly packed up my things and hit the road. I took a test. I tested negative. I hit the road. I am out in ocean city keeping to myself. I'm, you know, basically banished from my own house. So I'm out here in Ocean City. I have a friend who is in a very similar situation, also tested negative, who has a positive roommate. And we are down here playing the old pro golf tour pretty much every night. Um, Shout out to the 136th Street and the 68th Street. I don't know if we want to have an entire conversation. We kind of had one before we hit record on this podcast about those many golf courses at play down here in ocean city, but there are some quality, quality mini golf courses when it comes to old pro. Um, There's some other ones that aren't necessarily old pro golf courses, but I just want to say the 68th street course, the outdoor prehistoric course is head and shoulders above the rest of the courses that we, wow. We have played five rounds of mini golf so far. We are planning to play many more as we're down here, exiled out on the strip here on coastal highway. And the 68th Street prehistoric dinosaurs has all kinds of wrinkles. There's a log where, you know, you put it into the log and you just expect it's going to roll through the log and come out the other side. There's holes in the log that you didn't even see. You didn't even know they were there. All kinds of wrinkles is what it's all about. Mini golf, love old pro, love 68th Street. That is uh, my very relatable and personal November uh, Maryland Man of the Week, the pro golf. No, I think that's a good one. I think a lot of people listening to the show will know those old pro courses and, and know, you know, the mini golf scene in Ocean City is one of the greats. I mean, it's up there with the Myrtle Beaches and, and wherever else you have high quality mini yeah. golf. Just to refresh on those other courses that are there that we play, we've had the aquarium, <laughs> the aquarium course on 68th Street, the indoor course, very quality as well. Um, and then up on 136, you get the, the uh, safari course indoors. Um, which is laid out very similarly to the aquarium course. It's just the motif is a little different. But the holes are kind of a little too similar, I'd say. And then the outdoor course there is the, the pirate ship course. Um, you know, outdoors, you know, it's nice. It depends on the weather's been, we had some wind gusts out there at a certain point this week. Sure. A factor, you know, it, it gets dicey out there. But um, 
yeah, the uh, the outdoor uh, pirate course just doesn't hold a candle to the prehistoric dinosaurs course. So, yeah, it's interesting they cut the indoor holes a little bit bigger, which uh, you know must just be a course design decision that they're uh, they're making at Old Those Pro. Are big maybe, jars. maybe we could bring yeah, maybe we could bring somebody in from Old Pro at some point to really get a breakdown of that. Uh, I will take it next. Uh, my Maryland uh, person of the week is someone we just talked about, um, and it's Jake Funk. Um, incredibly happy for Mr. Funk, 221 yards, the mo- the 11th most in Maryland history, and as I said, a really great dude and and, and representative of our program. Um, so. So not a flashy one or funny one for me. I just got to shout out Jake Funk. Awesome kid. And he deserved that moment. Uh, Eric. Um, I'm, I'm going between two right now. I think, wow. I, I think I'm going to give it to Manny Machado for his top three MVP finish in the NL. He's not going to win it. I think Freddie Freeman's going to win it. Um, but shout out to, to Manny for having a, Having a good year on a on a team where Tatis took a lot of the headlines um, all year, and Manny played his ass off, and a lot of people who said that Machado was just going to go out there and cash paychecks, um, you know, he kind of backed it up and on a, a, a abbreviated season had a had a hell of a year. So, anytime I can plug a Manny Machado, he uh, he gets a plug. So, any honorable mentions from you guys? Um... I actually was going to lay off the tag of Viola because I thought that you were going to go for that. And then you said Jake Funk, which is very deserved. So I may just throw him in the mix as well. Um, a little overlap there in terms of topic wise, but so be it. And if he I- was also an honorable mention for me, Mr. Tonga Viola. He was sure. also my number one, but then I decided to switch him after. We <laughs> That's fair. Um, the other one is it's a little bit of a run back from, from last week, but. We did it, folks. Question two, pass in the state of Maryland. Yes, that was on my list. Thank you very much to all the Maryland voters who got out there. And I just want to let let the 630,000 or so of you that voted no, you were all dead to me. Uh, <laughs> drive directly off the Bay Bridge. Wow. Um, yeah, a little strong. And uh, I mean every word of it. There you, it is. You want to make my life miserable. And I, I just, I, I don't care to know you. That really was the, uh, you know, the biggest election story for Maryland. I think there wasn't a ton else that really Sorry uh, for the moved, politics guys. No, that moved the needle last night from a local elections perspective. All the congressional races were pretty, sure. pretty cut and dry. Brandon Scott became the mayor. That was pretty cut and dry. So uh, it was really all about question two. That was really kind of the headline. It really was. And I, I, I talked to some, some sources in the know, and uh, I guess the procedure that happens now is, they need to figure out how they want to operate it, how they want to tax it, do all those types of things. And so come January, they will do a session or something or whatever that thing's called, some legislative bullshit. Um, that'll be a 90-day like session thing where they vote on it, pass it, figure out what they want to do. And all signs point to it being implemented in spring 2021, which is a little later than I'd like to see, given that it's passed and you have all this gusto and excitement that, you know, sports gambling's finally coming to Maryland. But um, we got to be patient. It's going to, at least we know it's on the way. And fingers crossed, my hope is that it, it, it can show up by March Madness. That might be a little bit of a, a long shot, but we'll see. Should be fun, however it develops. My uh, only honorable mention, since we've uh, talked about Talia enough, uh, is Anderson Silva, who uh, 
had his final UFC fight reportedly this weekend, although in the combat sports game, you truly never know when they're actually retired. But uh, he said it was his last one in the UFC. I had the pleasure of watching Anderson Silva fight twice live, UFC 101 uh, in Philadelphia, and then UFC 168 in Vegas. Uh, And he was one of the all-time buzz-worthy people I've ever seen live um, in a sporting event. It was a totally... It was a crazy experience when he walked to the octagon, and that is only a feeling you really get in combat sports, which I've tried to describe to a lot of people before that have never been to a boxing UFC event, at least a big one. When that when the guy comes in, it is just a different vibe than any other sporting event. Uh, Anderson Silva had that. His performance I saw when he fought in Philly was sublime, um, and he was at the formation of my MMA fandom, which is a sport that I enjoy a lot. So he uh, goes up there. Me and RDT interacted on Twitter a little bit about that the other night. Uh, that was a cool moment to watch. He lost, um, but cool to see him get a lot of respect on Twitter that night. So that was actually the other guy that I was debating on uh, between him and Manny, because yeah, like, like, like we talked about on Twitter. So I'm not the biggest UFC fan. I was uh, early on. I was a very casual fan. Like, Oh, if we were at a friend's house and there was a fight, like, Oh yeah, we'd order it or whatever. And, like, I remember the first time I saw Silva fight, I was like, this guy's amazing. Like, I, I'm going to watch every fight. And then, you know, so I got to watching him. And, like, that Forrest Griffin fight, I think, may have been the most fun I've ever had watch, just watching a fight. He just absolutely humiliated him. Um, just so much fun to watch. And, like I said, I've never seen him live. But, but we're just watching all the fights throughout his career. And I remember my, my wife now, we, my, when she was my girlfriend at the time, I, I think I ordered a fight. Um, and I was like, you got to watch this guy. He's the best. He's amazing. He's just, he's the best in the world. And then that's when he broke his leg. And oh. she's like, this guy stinks because I, I was there. Matters. I was there when he broke his leg. Where, who was that against? That Chris, was Chris Weidman. Yes. Yes. And then I, then I think I watched Chris. I, Cause then didn't he rematch him? So he lost to him the first time by knockout and then yes. rematch. That's when he broke his leg on the leg kick uh, UFC 168, which also had Ronda Rousey. A fun night for me in Vegas. So that first one when he lost, I was at um, Green Turtle in Bethany, I think it is, and and um, that's when I first discovered that Delaware had a one a.m. lights out or uh, last call because the fight ended and they turned the lights on. And oh my and, god, like, have you been in Dewey for a situation like that? That's so tough. Not. It is always the worst. It is tough scene. Yeah, I legit, you're like, just I getting they were going. Like midnight comes, like midnight comes around, and it's like you're kind of hitting. You're you're trying to high point it a little bit. Your evening, and then you're getting the gusto going, and then from like twelve thirty to one, you're like, all right, we got this rig rolling. And next thing you know, the the bar lights are on. Yeah, I legitimately brutal. thought they were like messing around. They're like, all right, you know, close it up, last call. And I was yeah, like, all the Dewey one. Beach stands, like Dewey Beach, is a great time, but they got to figure that out. It was yeah. It was that's got to go to two a.m. It's so bad. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I had I had Tiger Viola, I had Silva, I had Manny, I had John Angelos, but we already talked about that. And then uh, my last one, I think I've eaten more. It's the creator of the Tootsie Roll. I've eaten more Tootsie Rolls in the last week than I think <laughs> oh, in the last yeah. twenty years. I mean, I put some down this week. It's been wow. I'm dad. Oh, dad. that really is. Yeah, um, I've been crushing peanut M and M's throughout Election Day and all this. Yeah, stuff. Uh, this is a party size bag. This is done. Yeah, absolutely toast. It's yeah. I mean, I'm like not. I'm like 66 percent Tootsie Roll right now. So 
Good there you Lord. go. That's about a lot, it. Of toots, lot of tootsies. Uh, that's a good pick. Halloween candy probably should have been on this list. Somebody's list. So I'm glad that you got that on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Banks, any additions to the list this week? I do have an addition to the list and I'm actually stunned. Uh, when I saw some of the comments this week after the loss, uh, I went to my list and I was like, wait, this person is not yet on the list. And this person is Max Kellerman. Yeah, this guy has deserved to be on the list for a while. And I guess he just never said he never triggered me in the right way or I just like ignored him or whatever it may be. But you referenced it very early in this podcast, the goalpost moving when it comes to Lamar Jackson. He is the king of moving the goalposts on Lamar Jackson. I think he was the one pushing the effort and ESPN was 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 a part of it of this 0-6 in big and primetime games and then cherry-picking, like, his statistics against the Steelers, Chiefs, and, what, his two playoff games or something. Like, sure, do that, fine, whatever. But you you just can't sit there and ignore those games that you rattled off earlier. The the, the Seahawks win last year, the the, the 49ers win, the, the Rams were a good team coming off a of Super Bowl appearance a year before and he absolutely lit them up um and then the previous year before the chargers like that was essentially a playoff game on the road west coast across the country with a limited playbook he went out there made the big throw to mark andrews and and made the plays that needed to be done to win that game went out there in week 17 knowing he needed to win to win the division and he did exactly that so you can make a case and i said this on the radio yesterday that those are basically playoff wins a little bit of a reach i'll admit that because the browns were not a playoff team so it's not like you beat a playoff team in a playoff setting but he's gone into games with the pressure of knowing he needs to win and needs to perform and he's done exactly that and the the patriots game another game that i didn't just mention but you mentioned earlier the national audience everybody sat there and watched it blew them apart oh he doesn't play well in primetime games five touchdowns against the jets last year i'm starting to go on and on i'm getting worked up Kellerman's on the list. Max Kellerman, jabroni. People forget that he got fired from around the horn like six months in, put Tony Reale on there, and that's now – that show celebrated their 18th birthday today. I was going to say, I, I maybe watched like one episode every six months, and yeah. I turned on the TV today, and I saw uh, Tony Reale, who I – and I threw – maybe this is a conversation for another day. I said Tony Reale is in the top maybe three – of universally liked sports people along with Tim Kirchin yeah. and, and, you know, and Van Pelt. Pelt. It has to be those. I don't three. feel strongly for Tony Reale, but I definitely do not feel, you know, I have no ill will towards him whatsoever. Mm-hmm. He seems like a very good guy. He's just a very pleasant, likable guy. I mean, He's had a lot of like, I know he had something with his, with his child early on. I think he may have lost. Oh, that's right. Child. That sounds right. And he had something very just, it was a, it was a big emotional story. Yeah. Um, and and I mean, he was one of the first the Ash Wednesday. He was the the he, big. He's the king. He's the yeah, king. And, and he's always Ash been like Wednesday that. guy. He's big time um, Catholic stand for sure. Big but time. yeah, I, I heard him say, you know, today's the the 18th anniversary. Um, and again, I I feel like just an all around great guy in 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 TV in sports TV. Yeah, Amazing so that good. show has been on for 18 years. Yeah, it feels like the concept with the the points and is a good concept, and you know, mm-hmm. I'll admit that. And uh, it feels, it still feels new to a degree. It's just a real shame that Jay Mariotti isn't around to see it. Oh, geez. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what a, a shame. Anyways, wow. congrats to Tony Reality. Uh, 
Fuck you, Not, Max Kellerman. Yeah, Max Kellerman on the list. Uh, I have one quick go off to finish the show here before we get to uh, really one mailbag question we, we really need to address. Um, I'm going to just quickly touch on the fact that Major League Baseball made the decision to uh, have a show to give out awards last night during perhaps the most consequential election of our lifetimes. And that is really one of the most interesting uh, promotional decisions I think I've ever seen to, and, and we were discussing it where they tried to make such a bad decision that it got more talked about. I don't know. There's no justification you can make. The entire country is watching Trump Biden. That's, that's what everyone should be watching and should be caring about. No one should care anything about the gold gloves at that point. Although RDT's freaking watching the gold gloves. So I don't know what the hell I you mean. Doing. I mean, but, Machado was robbed. Santander was robbed. I don't yeah. have time to get into it. The, the, the voting in this thing sucks, you know? Yeah. And guess Every, what? Everything sucks. There's way more important voting going on. MLB, get it together. Figure out how to market your sport. You've got a good product with entertaining players, and you've done other things that are good. Wait till tomorrow. Wait, do it Monday. Do it last week. Like, what? What? What is the wait? So, get you, figure it out. Figure it out. Get, are you getting a little political by saying politics are important? No. Politics are important. <laughs> Politics are important. As I yeah. as I scan the five thirty eight live blog as we do this uh, as we do this show. Um, yeah, question two. That's important. Looking for the <laughs> well, I, I love I love turnout and I love precincts. So that's what we're that's what we're doing. That's what's what your favorite doing. precinct. Don't tell me with a good precinct. So you know what you know. I will say I will say my favorite county in the country that gets that gets brought up every four years is Cuyahoga County in Ohio because I love that name. <laughs> Cuyahoga County. It's come up like every cycle since 2004. I can remember watching the election. So. Uh, I'm just in it for the, like, I know nothing about this guy's politics, what he stands for. He's probably scumbag. I mean, the politicians, they tend to be scumbags. Let's so just, you know, whatever. I don't know anything about it before I say this. John Hickenlooper. Hickenlooper. Hip, Hickenlooper, Colorado. Hickenlooper. Heck of a name. That is that's a, a, a Doug's name. name. That's a Doug's name. Oh, yeah, exactly. That yeah. is a Central, not Central America, Middle America. Like, this guy is destined to be a star politician. Um, just that name was all over the place yesterday and uh, superstar stuff. Yeah, he uh, that was a pickup for the Democrats in the Senate um, as a Hickenlooper. He was previously the governor of Colorado. I think he was a two-term governor of, uh, of Colorado. Let me do the uh, quick research. Yes. <laughs> Two-term governor, of Colorado, John. Hickman. Thank you, thank you for that. So, uh, so yeah, so but MLB, figure it out, please, please figure that out. We head quickly to the mailbag here before we uh, we sign off for the show uh, tonight, and it's a quick question, and I'm gonna call Mr. Jake Locke, L O U Q U E. I want to call him Le Q, but you guys laughed at me before the show when we discussed the pronunciation, so I'll call him Locke. For lack of a better term, uh, here it is: McRibber Spice McNuggets RDT. It's Spice McNuggets in in an absolute landslide. Okay. Like if you want to talk about voting, that's that there that shouldn't have even been a uh, a poll. Okay. Thanks. Sure. Um, Spicy McNuggets already gone. I don't know if you realize that they didn't stick. McRib isn't even back yet. You you literally uh, no documented that. I have documented that there it is not back yet. They have announced that it is coming back. It is mm-hmm. in the process of coming back. It will be back, I believe, December 2nd. There are entire Twitter accounts that are dedicated to sleuthing out when these these the McRib is coming back. When it's back, you will all know it. I'm all about it. I mean, it's just a <laughs> piece of 
what is it pork i guess i guess it could be i don't know it's it's delicious it's it's american and it's it gets the people going it's when when the mcrib comes back people are talking about it by the way i i have a i have a quick mailbag type question um taylor i know i did uh discuss this with you last week i don't think brian was back on yet but i got a, a, a very um interesting dm from a listener a concerned listener um who said that there was a, a bar barstool put out a witch lunch what is the greatest childhood lunch snack of all time and a certain sean ellenby says you picked three crackers you picked goldfish cheez-its and ritz bits over the likes of snack pack fruit by the fruit by the foot gushers um scooby-doo fruit <laughs> snacks cosmic brownies Roll, fruit roll-ups, kudos bars. I mean, Dunkaroos. I could go on and on. Sure. You, so this was a pick three from a list type. It thing? was a pick three, and Sean. I mean, sorry, a concerned listener. He calls himself. Yes. Said, Is it true that Smythe picked three cracker var varieties: Goldfish, Cheez-Its, and Ritz bits? Wait, this is you, Taylor, that did this. Correct. Oh God. It's his. I oh, also no. this DM. This DM oh, was sent. No. The DM was sent September twenty-third. Oh. So. I've let this marinate and I have admittedly oh forgot God. about it, but I had to let the people know. I yes. think it's election season and we're, we're, we're weeding out all the, uh, the things we got to get, we got to talk about this. Sure. No, I, no, I will express nothing but full transparency on this issue. And I was <laughs> roundly, roundly destroyed, uh, by Sean and, uh, my other colleagues at Maryland about this, uh, choice. Uh, I love crackers. And I love cheese. I need that clip. And I love Ritz bits. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what was the other one that I picked? What was the other one that um, I picked? Goldfish, goldfish. cheese. Ritz oh, goldfish. Tremendous. I mean, I, I, those, those are all three... good snacks in their own right, but you can't. Yep. Yeah. So the big thing that I got hammered for, which I, is a fair criticism, was uh, that there was not enough variety in my choices. I just looked at the list and I just said the first three ones that I really wanted. And I put it down. Uh, I love Scooby-Doo fruit snacks. Those things are fantastic. Mm -hmm. we, we, maybe we can next week, we'll bring back that pick three and we can rediscuss this, relitigate this a bit. Um, Cause I need to see that full list again, but I, I mean, love all three of those things that I picked. I'm arguably putting those three at the bottom. Like I'm not taking so that's any what I was those told. over yeah. shark bites. See, I think people sleep, though, big time on goldfish and Cheez-Its. Like, that's something everybody likes to eat. Like, mm -hmm. it's like Dunkaroos, and that's all flashy. Like, everyone's got Cheez-Its. Everyone's got goldfish. And when those goldfish – look, when those goldfish got poured in those cups at 101 Banks, we were crushing those fish. <laughs> and, and, like, if they're pouring – you know, if they're putting, I mean, it's after a couple glasses of wine. Yeah, but it, yeah, well, well, it's a versatile snack. Wine it's a versatile snack. Okay, I can I go to, I can go to the bar. I can go to the bar at one hundred and one. Bring back the freaking, you know, five dollar bottles of wine night on Thursdays, whatever the hell that deal was. Bring that back, and they're filling up those goldfish. Shout out to anybody that works at one hundred and one that listens to this show. If there are any, um, glad you didn't get shut down because you have freaking people lining up outside during halloween that stinks too figure it out chucks and banditos let's let's figure it out so you guys don't get Oof. shut and bringing COVID around but um i love both those bars we got to figure it out uh i love those three snacks i will stand by it i love those three snacks so i don't think I, that like loving any of those snacks is wrong in itself it's just you're building a lineup it's it's like playing NES ice hockey <laughs> three skinny guys. You're just sure. embodied by everybody else's lunch the entire time. So let's yeah. do this. Let's we'll go back and find that barstool tweet that we took it from. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, you look, let's let's we'll have a week to think about it. We'll bring that back 
in the mailbag segment next week. Maybe maybe we can have maybe we'll send it out to the listeners. I don't you know if we feel comfortable doing that and see other people's picks and people can crush me if they want to crush me. That's fine. I'm fine. I'll, I'll stand in the trenches with my three snacks all day long. All day. Okay. Long. That's that's like I said, a concerned listener. Yeah. Shout out, shout, out to, shout out to Sean. Shout out to Sean. He's already been added. Shout out to Sean Allenby. Shout out to him for bringing that up. Um, I've heard, already heard a lot about it. So <laughs> I will continue and I will continue to hear about it. And that is the end of the Exit 52 podcast for this week. Thank you so much for everyone that has listened to the show and all the previous episodes before. Make sure you go back to listen to a few of our interviews. Morgan Cox still have great stuff there. Adley Rushman was fantastic. Joey Molinaro, even if you need to relive Raven Steelers, maybe take a couple weeks for the next show. We had some great talk there as well. Um, so make sure to go back to listen. Jeremy Conn, all the different people we've had on so far. Make sure to follow and us Go ahead. I was going to say, we're slowly adding the videos on YouTube too. Yes. I'm going to put up Joey and, and going to try and get the Morgan and um, Johnny one, but Adley and Jeremy are up on the YouTube. I think it's just exit 52 podcast on, uh, on YouTube. So again, I know I, we had a couple people reach out and ask, and if you're in a cube and you want to throw it on YouTube um, and can't listen on your phone or something like that, you can, uh, you can do that now. Yeah, for sure. And great job by RDT throwing that stuff all up there. And uh, as we continue to expand the uh, exit 52 media empire, get to all soon i'll start doing tiktoks you can start you'll follow us on tiktok and i'll i'll dance around and stuff like that <laughs> are you okay. really gonna do that like i hope you do uh yeah i'm thinking about it okay. i don't think you should think about it i think you should do it well there you go maybe once i get my cheez-its <laughs> i got their cheez-its right behind me I got, that, I got well house. maybe i'll see you in a couple of days and right. with that you can follow uh banks at barstool banks you can follow rdt at e d i TTI22 on Twitter. You can follow me at TaylorSmythe10. And we will see you after Colts Ravens on Sunday. Rebound time for the birds. We'll see you for instant analysis. That's it. See you next time.